think sometimes we are way too reactive to things and and there is a lack of political will to to be proactive um one of the you know kind of undercurrents within the cycling community is that blood needs to be spilled before something changes and um it's unfortunate that that is is kind of the umbrella of of a lot of the um upgraded cycling infrastructure that we're seeing across North America, but here in Toronto specifically, that we need someone to be killed or seriously hurt before um, something changes. Welcome to Urban Limitrophe, a Toronto-based podcast exploring the global African experience by highlighting the various initiatives happening in cities across the African continent and occasionally the diaspora to creatively solve problems, support communities, create vibrant urban spaces, and build better cities overall. I'm your host, Alexandra, and join me as I explore this episode's topic. This episode is sponsored by the University of Toronto School of Cities. The School of Cities convenes urban-focused researchers, educators, students, practitioners, and the general public to explore and address complex urban challenges with the aim of making cities and urban regions more sustainable, prosperous, inclusive, and just. To learn more about their work, visit schoolofcities.utoronto.ca. This episode is also co-sponsored by the University of Toronto's Department of Geography and Planning. To learn more about their work and the different undergraduate and graduate programs available, please visit geography.utoronto.ca. <laughs> Have you heard of this secret society of bike mares? That's basically what this is. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess the real question is, did you know that Toronto has not one, but two mayors? You have your mayor, like, you know, the one that does all the like policies and whatever. But then we also have a bike mayor. And the bike mayor of Toronto is our guest for this episode of Urban Limitrove. But you're going to hear multiple voices in this episode. <laughs> and one of them is Joyce Lynn. And Joyce Lynn is one of my good friends and fellow urban planner. And I'll let them introduce themselves a bit more. So say hello to the listeners, Joycelyn. <laughs> Hi, listeners. My name is Joycelyn. I'm an urban planner that's passionate about collaborating with others to develop equitable, accessible, and inclusive neighborhoods and cities. I'm mostly interested in connecting people through uh, things like community economic development, parks and recreation, and of course, my all-time favorite thing, sports and sports infrastructure. But you're also an avid cyclist um and you have been braver than i have to you know cycle down these toronto streets <laughs> all kinds of weather <laughs> uh yeah it does take a lot to build up risk tolerance to cycling in a city where everyone already complains about car traffic yeah yeah it's a tough um, one yeah i think the biggest danger is actually the streetcar tracks Ooh. i've yet to get caught in one knock on wood yeah but it's uh it's probably the number one thing i hear people uh um get caught up on uh, or in. i mean i'm surprised it's not also that horse poop from police horses <laughs> from all the horses <laughs> actually i have been i have actually been caught behind a horse before really yes dang and you have to give the horse adequate space or else you could scare it 
Oh no! But yeah, like in the movies, they kick you uh, from behind. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Okay, I didn't know about that. But yeah, okay. Another thing <laughs> to dodge in these Toronto streets. All the more reason to have better protected bike lanes. Um, but yeah, but the topic for the today's episode is a about bike layers, but just overall about cycling infrastructure and mobility, and what that means when we design our cities for different types of mobility, and the like. I guess impetus for this particular episode is because I actually interviewed a few months back the ambassador of cycling in Africa. And so um, everybody lists, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, the guest for that episode is uh, Mr. Andy Costa. It's in French. So <laughs> if you want to train your French here, please listen in. But if not, here's another episode for you all about cycling infrastructure in in the city. Welcome, everyone, to Urban Limitrophe. Today's a special episode because I'm joined by none other than Lanrick Bennett Jr., the bike mayor of Toronto, among many other things that we'll uh, get into, and I'll let you introduce yourself in a second. But this episode is also extra special because I'm joined by not just one, but two co-hosts. First up is my good friend and fellow urban planner, Doyslyn Guan. And second is Erin. Erin couldn't make it uh, this morning because she's still in high school and class starts at 9 a.m. So she's currently getting ready for school. Uh, but Erin is 16. She's one of my sister's friends and she's an aspiring urban planner. And Lanark, you may um, recall meeting her, uh, She, and her and my, my sister and some of her friends uh, during the closing celebration for the Infrastructure Institute, uh, the Plus 2.0 exhibition this past September. Um, at the time, she was on the fence about if she wanted to be uh, get into planning. And I had asked you to like, whisper a few words of wisdom to her and it worked so we did it <laughs> so exciting. um but anyway but in order to to get some of the youth perspective and some of these conversations about you know urban planning and all these different things especially something like cycling because I know me personally my my relationship with cycling was when I was a kid and before I could transit around and and drive and all these different things so I want to get some youth perspectives as an aspiring urban planner I thought she should join the conversation like I said she can't be here but she sent it she sent in a few questions that I'll be sprinkling in wherever I can uh, yeah so that's all the co-hosts for today and we'll get started with our interview questions and my first one to you is can you please introduce yourself and all the wonderful things that you do but then also share a bit about you know uh, what is a bike mayor and um like what do, you, what do you do as a bike mayor, ultimately? Yeah, well, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, wonderful um, having this space and time to be able to talk to you and your listeners. Uh, my name is Landrick Bennett, Jr. Uh, I was appointed uh, Toronto's first bicycle mayor. Um, I kind of tripped into this uh, uh, appointment. Uh, there was there was no... Um, election for this i don't get a sash there's no crown uh but uh the bicycle mayors <laughs> uh there's an organization in the netherlands called bikes bycs uh and they had approached me um to uh give this role a spin um there was uh um, within this appointment piece um there are 150 other bicycle mayors uh across the world and uh, Toronto was um, was an area that uh, that they were really looking to um, add um, a voice and add some perspective uh, uh, throughout uh, their network. And uh, at the time, I was working for a non for profit called Eight Eighty Cities. Um, at Eight Eighty Cities, they they look 
at the urban environment through the lens of an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old, giving a proper understanding of how to uh, to better situate a world that, uh, that works for everyone. Uh, so working at 880 Cities, um, that's when uh, bikes approached me. And it's a two-year term, and I'm actually... Uh, going to be uh, giving up my uh, imaginary sash and crown mm -hmm. this coming January. Uh, so um, uh, maybe just even giving you just a little bit about who uh, bikes are. Uh, BYCS is uh, based in Amsterdam. They're a community-led urban change uh, um, organization that looks at cycling as kind of that crux of uh how you change your world your world as soon as you open up your front door uh being that uh, bicycles are are such a, uh can be such an integral part of uh the fabric of cities uh as i said 150 bicycle mayors on five different continents uh they've been able to pull together this global network of um, uh, civil engineers, uh, community advocates, um, all of these leaders supporting um, a want to be able to move around your city in a more equitable way. Uh, and uh, bicycle mayors are, are a component of being able to uh, input ideas and also activate uh, different um uh, pieces of the puzzle to to make cycling uh, a, a more approachable way of uh, making our communities more healthy and um, and more accessible. That's interesting. That yeah. was a lot. No, no, no. But that was that was perfect yeah. uh, because uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, the story of how I came across you yourself was that um, I mean, other than inviting you to come speak at the Infrastructure Institute for our closing celebration. Other than that, was because I was on the hunt for a bicycle mayor uh, for a while now, and Joycelyn knows. Okay. <laughs> we, had, we had found a few, um, I had reached out to a few, we got ghosted by one. <laughs> we'll not be named. Oh, we sorry. got ghosted, and I was like, no. <laughs> and yeah. then I wanted to tell the story because I was like, okay, there's this thing called a, like, we have a mayor. You, you know, it... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, it, and it's it's funny because when when uh, bikes approached me, BYCS approached me, um, the 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 entire impetus was, oh my gosh, it'll be like three to five hours a week. It, it's <laughs> it's it's a very um, part time volunteer gig that you just put in the time that you're able to. Uh, and I think that worked for me for about two weeks. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, it. I, I th this is this is not this is not a a slight it is it's a real um intense um uh position and mm -hmm. you almost feel it's not even that you feel you feel very responsible for both the title of a bicycle mayor but also how you approach being able to um, get into communities, get into the cycling world of your city and to really fine tune where you can be of service. Uh, and I think early on for myself, uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I got to create, I got to do this, I got to do that. Um, in the city of Toronto, we are so amazingly blessed with uh, the sheer 
volume of advocates that are out there. We're talking from the downtown core right into the suburbs of Scarborough and Etobicoke. There are people that are passionate about uh, being on a bike. And so I think within, you know, those first couple of months, I really got to uh, figure out that it wasn't so much my job to build something or to create uh, some sort of stance. It was to give uh, amplification to all of these different aspects of our city. And cycling downtown is a very different thing than cycling in Scarborough or North York or Etobicoke. Uh, being a young person cycling is very different than being a senior uh, cycling. Someone that may have a mobility, uh, uh, you know, maybe disabled in one way or another can still use bikes and they have a different uh, perspective as well. So, so many different colors of what it is to be a person on a bike. I don't consider myself a cyclist. Uh, I know that that is a word that is used, but I consider myself a person that uses a bike. And I love that. And and I and I like that, uh, you know, just just look at our world is I'm not I'm not on a bike to train to to, you know, go to the Tour de France. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I use my bike as I use my bike as a means to to commute either to work or, you know, to school with my kids I take it to the library. I go out for fun. Like I can do so many things with my bike, uh, but I'm a person and I utilize a uh, um, a piece of human technology to be able to get myself from point A to point B and beyond. Um, and, and being a cyclist is kind of a limiting word. Uh, being a person on the bike just gives me the freedom that I need um you know that's really interesting yeah that idea of the, the way you framed it is like cyclist being like a limiting term but there's so much there's so much more to it and there's so many different ways that we use cycling but you know yeah. what I'm gonna pass it off to Joyce Lynn because they're actually a cyclist or a, a person or a person with a bike, <laughs> a bike. <laughs> yeah yeah more so than I am because I my cycling career at least in the city streets ended when I was a teenager and I could use the sidewalk because the streets scare me and but uh, uh Joyce Lynn is uh, braver than I so we'll, we'll talk about that we'll talk about that that fear factor as well but yeah no yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. please <laughs> I mean I, this is my first time really interviewing for a podcast and I'm like slowly figuring out what do you do if someone's already answered your question <laughs> you ask me again because there, there there could honestly be a different perspective that yeah. that, that I didn't bring in. So please don't um, hesitate to, to ask it again. Yeah. So obviously, as as you were mentioning, there are people who cycle for fun, for commuting purposes, for exercise, to get from point A to point B, and you know everyone who falls in between. Uh, I guess it depends really on your uh, context, the lifestyle you're living. Um, it's sort of like, you know. People have many different hats. There's also people with many different bikes. Um, <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> I would say that I don't feel like a cyclist when I'm on my my single speed bike. But if I get out my road bike, um, I'm definitely. It's a whole sailing. different. It's a whole it's different a whole, mindset for sure. It is a whole different mindset. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, why do you cycle? Yeah, why do I cycle? Um, I, I kind of hinted to the fact that that at least in becoming the bicycle mayor, you know, I kind of tripped into this, but 
Um, my daughter, uh, who's 15 years old right now, if you can picture a nine-year-old, uh, um, this, this awesome young lady uh, <laughs> walks into the kitchen with my wife and I, and it's, I think it's like, it's Friday, maybe it's probably a Saturday morning. Yeah, it definitely is a Saturday. And kind of looks at my wife and I and puts her hands on both of our hands. And she's oh. kind of like, guys, I'm going to be riding my bike to school on Monday. I just wanted to let you know. And then she just saunders out. And that that was, there wasn't really a conversation. And it wasn't so much a statement, but it was just like, this is a factual thing that's going to be happening on Monday. Um, to our credit, um, we all ride, we, we, I shouldn't say we all ride bikes. We do now. But my wife is an avid cycle, is an avid person on a bike. She's the co-chair of a um, of one of the um, groups that does the Ride to Conquer Cancer with uh, Princess Margaret. So she's been riding for years. Uh, but as a medical professional, her day starts at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so it was kind of up to me to find a bike. So that weekend... Uh, I went out and bought my first bike in Toronto and spent the weekend with my daughter. Uh, we rode around our neighborhood. We actually took our bikes down to the Bentway and did just a lot of laps in there just so that I could see how she felt uh, on her bike. And she'd been riding for at least a year, maybe a year and a half already. So it wasn't something where I was fearful of her not being able to keep herself up, just wanted to see, you know, uh, her movements as such. And the following Monday, we rode to her school. She was going to uh, Duke of Connaught. I live out in the East End. Um, and our route was pretty simple, uh, going south on Jones Avenue, going uh, east on Dundas, and we would hit her school in about 12 minutes. Um, I, I honestly have to say it was the greatest time frame of being a dad and being able to ride with your, your kid. And, and every morning it was a new adventure to be able to hop onto the bike, throw on the helmet, uh, you know, forgetting a, a bike lock and having to come back home. And, and like, it was, it was all sorts of joy being with her. That being said, it was also a lot of anxiety because the uh, the roads that I ride on here in the East End, uh, although we have bike lanes, and I'm putting up air quotes for people that can't see me, um, <laughs> they're painted lines. And this is how it's been uh, for, for over a decade, uh, where the lines were put down, that was the bike lane. Uh, so I would put my daughter in the painted bike lane while I would ride in the middle of the street and my sense of that was I was going to be this this barrier for her just in case um we had a few scares but nothing you know that would want to stop her from riding and that all changed uh um one May morning um another father uh riding uh to work um was uh, killed at uh, Jones and Dundas, Douglas Crosby. Uh, we didn't witness the crash, but we missed it by about uh, 20 minutes. And so explaining that in the afternoon of his death 
uh, to my daughter. Um, she was riled. She was definitely shaken. Uh, she she wanted to ride a bit more, and we kept on riding for a couple of months. Uh, but in those couple of months, my daughter wrote to our mayor at the time. She wrote to Councillor Paula Fletcher. She wrote to our trustee, Jennifer Story. She wrote to our MP or MPP, all with the aspect of how can you help me and my friends and my dad uh, get to and from my house to my school in a in a safer way when are you going to build protected bike lanes uh for our streets um she got a few responses um even as a nine-year-old she really knew what a canned copy and paste response was <laughs> and um in october of that year she gave up riding for good she went on bike strike my daughter has not been on a bike in five years so a uh, 15-year-old right now, she loves walking. She loves taking public transit. She'll take that to school. She'll take that to dance. She'll go out with her friends, but she will not go on a bike. And it's it's her stance, which makes me the advocate that I am because I want my daughter to be able to ride again. And I'm trying to do as much as possible as a bicycle mayor, as just a regular person living in the city to advocate and push our politicians to find that political will to create safer infrastructure to allow my daughter to feel confident enough that she can pop back on a bike and, and get around this wonderful city. That's why I ride. <laughs> That's, go ahead. Um, yeah, that's it. It's a lot. I, I it is and a it's lot. Not, and, and it's not, and, and I, I don't bring that story into play as some sort of, you know, look at my badge of awesomeness. It, <laughs> it, everyone, no, but everyone has a, has mm -hmm. a different reason, not just to ride their bike, but to want to voice their concerns. And, mm -hmm. and I do lean a lot on both of my kids. Um, my son rides his bike. Uh, and, and as much as my daughter may not, uh, she encourages my, my son to be on this bike and to be able to get out. She doesn't want her stance and her, uh, fear to affect him. She, she figures he'll, he'll figure his own, you know, mindset out. But, um, yeah, my, my kids are my reasoning to, to, to be on a bike and to want it to be safer for both of them, which in turn, mm -hmm. Uh, will hopefully make it safer for everyone. Yeah, which is super important to advocate for. Um, but yeah, it's it kind of leads into like my next question, which is like, how do we design inclusive cycling infrastructure so that benefits our cities, it benefits our communities, but is also integrated well into the broader um, mobility or transportation network? Because we do have, you know, all these cycling and um, vehicle interactions um, where we're forced to interact and we really are relying on each other to pay attention to make sure that it is safe to make the moves that we want to. So how do we design inclusive spaces? Yeah, I'm sorry for that loss. And and I know that that really, um, it's, 
it surprises me, or maybe it shouldn't surprise me, but the uh, as a urban society, um, I think sometimes we are way too reactive to things and and there is a lack of political will to to be proactive. Um, one of the you know kind of undercurrents within the cycling community is that blood needs to be spilled before something changes. And um, it's unfortunate that that is is kind of the umbrella of of a lot of the um, upgraded cycling infrastructure that we're seeing across North America, but here in Toronto specifically, that we need someone to be killed or seriously hurt before um, something changes. But but to to kind of start to answer your question, I think. I think we need to prioritize vulnerable road users. We need to uh, put at that highest setting how we plan our our movement across the city. So, you know, centering on Toronto, this means, you know, uh, rapidly looking inside and outside of the core. As I said before, downtown is a bit different than it is out in the suburbs, but we really do need to figure out how to take that accessibility that we give to cars and translate that to accessibility for people. And that's giving people options. That's giving people as much as, as much as I'm the bicycle mayor, as much as I advocate for, for cycling, that's, that's not the end all story. It's, it's really, um, and I'm saying this with bias, taking away space that is meant for cars and allowing almost an evolution, uh, a remix of that space that um, centers on people. And really, um, I, I think that's that's kind of where it starts. You want people of all ages and all abilities uh, to, to really have access to infrastructure that's already out there. Um, it, it's funny when, when the, uh, when the drum roll of like, uh, you know, how much are we spending on cycling infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. Like the infrastructure is out there already. We've got streets that, that basically take us, you know, 95% of the way throughout our cities. It's not a hard thing to be able to uh, take space away from, giving that to cars and giving that then to people. Um, uh, and I was, I, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a little tangent here. I was having a very good conversation with someone that was very anti bike and uh, they were very much on the fact that they could drive everywhere and, and, and the car gave them the, the most amount of freedom possible. And and I turned to them as as I was getting myself ready to go to a farmer's market and I was explaining to them, well, I can ride my bike into the park and I get to take my bag from my bike into the farmer's market, pick up my stuff, put it back on my bike and ride home. You can't do that on your car. And this isn't a, a you know, me being superior over you. The freedom that you think you have on your car where you have to now find parking somewhere and, you know, navigate through all, like, I don't have to worry about that. I get to, I get to just take my bike into the area that I want to go to do my, I don't even have to lock it up. I get to walk with my bike. 
and use that as as the means of of getting around. Um, but you know, just to, to to come back to to that question, I mean, it's 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 options. It's it's giving people so so when even when you're looking at your bicycle as your main means of transportation, how can we integrate that? into the public transit mix so can i take my bike on a bus with me or could i park my bike securely uh, at the beginning of the trip hop on to a subway or a streetcar get to close enough the destination that i need to get to and maybe jump on a bike share you know like it, it's it's all of those uh it, we, we kind of joke about you know the war on cars which is a great podcast, by the way. But, <laughs> but um, you know, honestly, it 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 does come back to to giving people options, and uh, you know, we're 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 never going to get completely away from cars and trucks. I understand that they are going to be within our urban spaces, but we don't have to be car dependent, and that mindset needs to be shifted, and and giving space to bikes, giving space to mobility devices, uh, that, again, you know, hits on that true freedom that cars could honestly uh, never hold up to. And Dr. is there anything you want to add, or should I jump in? You can jump in there. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's interesting what you're saying. I mean, first of all, all of that, is, <laughs> there was a lot there to unpack. And I think... <laughs> No, I mean, I think it, it kind of takes me back to, like I said before, to like my own, I guess, like childhood and like, um, and the freedom that comes with like biking. So long story short, me and my friend used to do this mm -hmm. thing uh, when I was in middle school. Yeah, when I was in middle school. So we were like, what were you like 13, like that, at that, around that time. So what we would do is that uh, we would just like take our bikes and then we would go on the subway and we would just get off. <laughs> we would just go somewhere because, and then we would yeah. get off. And then we would just yeah. cycle around and see how we could get home. And um, we <laughs> made it home at the time. Like my time to get home was like six. And I was always calling my parents being like, I'm lost. <laughs> but I'm coming, you know, or I would like yeah. pass the timeline and, or like, actually it was like, I would call my parents and tell them I would late and I was late. And this was before like, you know, our phones had like data, which makes me sound kind of old, but sure, I'm like, it's sure. not even that old. <laughs> but it was before our phones had data. <laughs> So I would call my friend who I knew was at home and I'd be like, are you near a computer? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, go on Google Maps. We're at this intersection. Can you guide us home? <laughs> I love it. Love it. Yeah. And so we would navigate the streets. And in that way, I got to learn a lot about the city, a lot about, a lot about my neighborhood, because I had been to places that, you know, with a car, I would never be, I would never be able to, 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 to experience. I learned what it's like to bring your bike on the subway and how horrible it can yes. be. And yes. also what it's like yes. to bring your bike on the bus, me being the clumsy person that I am sometimes, I definitely held up that bus trying to unhook and unrehook my bike for a very long time, <laughs> um, to my embarrassment. Um, so much so that, you know, I don't, I don't bike anymore, <laughs> but, um, oh, for, no. but it's one of those reasons, but also going back to the, the story you shared about your daughter is that idea of safety where I was like, um, I'm, I'm also a person who's like taller. So like, even though I was like a child on the, like, uh, using like the sidewalk to bike, I looked like an adult for the most part. So we sure, yeah, 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 yeah. And my friend is also quite tall, so the two of us, you know, two black women, just cycling through the city of Toronto, we would get a lot of like comments being like, "Get off the sidewalk! It's for the people!" Like you know, and I'm like, I'm yes. a child. I don't know what the like. I don't know how to cycle <laughs> in the 
street. Please don't send me out there. <laughs> but no, but we did try it. And, you know, I realized I'm like, you know, it's not worth it because I'm, I'm I was genuinely like scared because I'm there's, there was mm-hmm. I, I live in uh, the northern part of the city. Yeah. And like in northern in North York. And so like the, the cycling infrastructure isn't as well integrated, integrate. I mean, downtown also you know has its issues, but there's like nothing <laughs> to, to kind of. There's nothing. North. No, there's, I know. Nothing I know. As soon as you go north of as soon as you go north of St. Clair, I mean, it is it is kind of sketchy yeah. out there for for infrastructure that is catered to to people on bikes for sure yeah so i was like you know what it's not worth it but like going back to the stories i think we're talking about mobility and we're talking about cycling but there's also this undercurrent of like loss you know that happens and you talked about it um that you know in the community that blood needs to be shed before action happens and i know that's part of like one of the policies or one of not only the city of toronto but there's it's called vision zero right like trying to Limit, right. trying to limit the amount of people get the number of people dying on bikes to zero and and you're alluding to it that there's so many there are solutions to it and I guess we can jump into that afterwards but um I think the problem that we're coming across was like when our cities move away from being planned for people and they start being <clears throat> sorry and they start being planned for cars or they start being planned for whatever other things that's when you end up with these like tensions that can be fatal unfortunately if we're not yeah. if we're not yeah. careful but um yeah but, but that brings me I guess, to my my next question is you can paint a picture like uh, what is it the cycling landscape like in toronto you, you already alluded to it being like from the like northern part of the city versus the the central city has different kind of infrastructure um but like yeah what is the city trying to do to support you know, your various initiatives you're putting forward or just various cycling initiatives. And then I'll throw in uh, a splash from Aaron. <laughs> and in terms of one question she had is that like, you know, how is this compared to other cities around the world and what can we learn from it? Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, painting a picture of the cycling landscape. Um, yeah. We're evolving. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like many infrastructure challenges in the city, creating space for people on bikes has, there's been a lot of, push and 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 push back uh to the detriment of people's lives unfortunately um and yeah we 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 literally you know i i talked about that dark feeling of blood having to be spilled before change happens so um i think it was back in 2017 uh, we had this road safety plan that was put together, um, and that is the Vision Zero Road Safety Plan. Uh, and this was an action put forth uh, to focus on reducing traffic-related fatalities and serious injuries on the streets of Toronto. Uh, and the city committed to what is now known as Vision Zero. And this this fundamental message is... Um, you know, fatalities and serious injuries on our streets, they are preventable. Um, and and there must be a, a straight want to reduce traffic-related deaths to zero, Vision Zero. Uh, we're seven years in. Um, to say that Vision Zero, the policies that uh, um, have been put together for that have not um, achieved what they were uh, supposed to would, would probably be you know uh, um, yeah it, it it hasn't come close um, you know but there there is a feeling that you know with political will uh, that 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 change is coming 
Um, we've got a few, and it's unfortunate that we have a few, but we've got a few proactive counselor members out there that are placing vulnerable road users ahead of driver's convenience. And whether that's reducing speeds on streets, narrowing those streets, or, you know, God forbid, installing protective cycling uh, networks uh, into places that were once dominated by cars, uh, we're at least moving in the right direction, slowly, but we're, we're moving there. And, and I feel that, you know, that, that, that can pay dividends uh, in the end. Um, to answer, you know, um, the question of uh, what's happening outside of Toronto's bubble, what's happening around the world, uh, where where are things going great? Um, and of course, you know, the fallback is is looking at at the Netherlands and looking at Europe in general. Um, I'm I'm tempted not to take too much from what's going on outside um, of North America. And that's not to say that the um, the ideas and the policies that are um, outside of North America aren't great. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see other cities and other countries really uh, make cycling as important as it is and giving space. And those are things definitely that um, we want to be able to do here in Toronto. I was really lucky that <clears throat> I got to take the um, Consulate General of the Netherlands, uh, Germany, France, and Poland out on a couple of rides here in the city to kind of show them our infrastructure and our cycling infrastructure in particular. Um, no, none of the riders that I was with um, were downtrodden what Toronto was accomplishing. Uh, none of them felt that their specific countries or cities uh, were were superior. They were excited that Toronto was creating uh, their own understanding of where cycling uh, needs to be integrated and needs to be uh, promoted here in our city. Uh, they were really actually taken. Uh, so we, we rode from... Uh, we started here in the Danforth, so we took Destination Danforth. We went across the viaduct, uh, across uh, Bloor Street, uh, showed them Shoreborn's uh, bike lanes, took them through uh, the distillery district into the Esplanade, took them across um, uh, the trail, um, across uh, Queen's Quay. But they really fell in love with Shaw Street. <laughs> and Shaw Street is one of these very, you know, it's, it, I think it's like, you can hit it from Queen all the way out to Davenport. It's, it's quite long. Uh, the key to that piece of infrastructure is if you're in a car, A, you can't go fast because the streets are super narrow. B, uh, the change of one ways uh, just makes it that you could never make it from Queen Street to Davenport in one run, you would have to kind of go around to be able, because the one way, some of them are going south, uh, you know, some of them go north. There's actually a, a complete section where only a bike could possibly fit through, mm -hmm. but they fell in love with the street. Mm -hmm. And they saw that as, as an example of how do you still have cars around, 
but the sheer volume of, of people on bikes being able to ride on this just felt so very natural. And how do you take a piece of infrastructure like that built here in Toronto and start copying and pasting that throughout the city? That's where it needs to, that's where they felt uh, it, it, it needed to start where you have, you've already got the streets and we've, we've already said this already have the streets. They're already there. Your infrastructure is ready for you to allow it to evolve and allow it to change. So I know that was a long winded piece on great to be able to look outside of our box. Great to look at Montreal and Vancouver and Portland and, and other cities in general, but we honestly have the tools and talent here in this city. Uh, we just need the political will to to want uh, vulnerable road users to be a priority and and not feel in any way that slowing down or or uh, keeping a driver from being able to uh, obtain a speed that would put us uh, vulnerable user users in in danger as as a uh, blockage of of creating safer streets. Mm, interesting that like Shaw Street was the street <laughs> of like all yeah, the random yeah, streets like, in honestly, Toronto. Yeah. I'm telling you, we 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 must have gone up and down like three times, and I mean, I had them for about three, maybe four hours, and mm. and they were just they were just enamored. There's I can't remember the name of the school that is on Shaw Street, but there's a big high school. Mm. There wasn't enough space for all of the bikes that were in the the uh you know just the bike lockups. There were kids that were, you know, literally uh locking up their bikes against the fence just mm -hmm. because like there there had to be over a hundred bikes right beside the school. I'll find out the name of the school to give you later, but it just seeing that yeah. in uh in our downtown core, like it was awesome. And it's exactly what we hope uh, our uh, politicians kind of gleam on the fact that we created this thing. And and there was a counselor, it was Mike Layton, mm -hmm. uh, who was the one that spearheaded this. This was a counselor that, you know, had the political will to, to really, uh, again, focus on vulnerable road users and, and create spaces that... Uh, allowed for people of all ages and all abilities uh to ride on yeah uh, that, that's go ahead oh, sorry, good. that school is called um central toronto academy I thank bike, you yes. i bike on shaw street a lot and so i i know exactly what you're talking about um i i tend to actually i will bike west out of my way to take shaw to get somewhere else just to get somewhere <laughs> i hear yeah, that a lot <laughs> just because it's it is it gives you um, a, a better sense of safety, knowing that it's a bit more dedicated to cycling and that there are other cyclists on the street as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then that school, funny enough, uh, I was, I've was, i been trying to teach one of my friends or someone from our cohort actually how to, how to ride a bike. She never really did it as a kid. And then doing it as an adult has been really interesting to watch someone mm -hmm. try and figure it out. Because um, for me as a kid, which is where I did a lot of my cycling. I didn't really ride on roads. Um, my experience with it was just going to the park and just doing laps, um, right. which yeah. is kind of what we <laughs> ended up doing, but at the school. Um, so yeah, that, that school has a, has an interesting place mm -hmm. uh, in my experience of, of cycling in, in Toronto. 
Very yeah. cool. I mean, I can speak to it from a driver's perspective <laughs> and a walker's perspective, I suppose. But yeah, like you're talking about how the streets, like, like they, like mm-hmm. you, going back to what you said, yeah, it's very narrow. I have like a big Jeep. So going through it, you're just kind of like, okay. I'm going through. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, that's the interesting part of, um, uh, of downtown. And I, and it's well orchestrated in that way, or that particular section is that like, like you're saying, like, if you want to, you can't just turn into that street because it is one way. So then you got to go around and you got to come back mm-hmm. and you got to be real careful going out <laughs> just to make That's sure right. that you, yeah. you're having space between all the different other mobilities going around you. And then, mm-hmm. but uh, that brings me back to this. I think this one course, I can't remember. There's this company in the Netherlands called like Mobicon. I feel like you might've heard of it. And like, I think okay. all they do is like, all they do is cycling infrastructure stuff and cities and they do like placemaking and exploring like, you know, what are the kind of principles of making you know, making a more mobility or people-centered mobility like network in cities. And then one of them is is that yes. is like, what are the different things that you can put to slow down as a driver in your brain so that, you know, you're not speeding? Because honestly, for any of the other drivers listening in the city, some of you are like, you know, pushing <laughs> it with like your speed yeah, and yeah. your turning corner. It's mm-hmm. hazardous just to just walk around and it's also hazardous right. to drive. People yeah. are here, oh, Wilden, that's all I got to say. But <laughs> yeah, um, so like all these different infrastructures that we're so not not we, but like let's say politicians or different people are so hesitant to put up are also good for quote unquote drivers as well. And they're good for cyclists and they're good for people who are just, you know, walking or taking scooters or whatever it is. That's it's right. really honorable yeah. to have these things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so fair. Um I do, I, we have a bit more time left, but I just wanted to uh, pass it off to you, Joyce Lynn. But there's one thing that you do that's super cool that you didn't mention, Lenrick, <laughs> is your work with Charlie's Free Wheels. And so I just wanted, I just wanted to give some space maybe to just talk a bit about um, another cycling initiative that you do um, and what that yeah, is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I've, um, I mean, it's still kind of new. I'm, I'm a I'm a, about a month and a half into being the executive director for a wonderful non-for-profit called Charlie's Free Wheels. Uh, this is based in the Moss Park region, park uh, neighborhood and community. Um, uh, we're fronted by a wonderful um, uh, bike shop called Yeah Bikes, uh, just off at uh, Queen and Sherborne. Um, I want to actually read um, what the about is uh, about Charlie's because I think it really just um, it it will give you the full context of what this is. So Charlie, it's named after a person. Uh, Charlie was a deeply generous person, a conscientious, a conscientious environmentalist, an artist, and an urban explorer. Riding a bike, rain or shine, was one of the many individual decisions that he made to support a more sustainable environment. He was a strong advocate for accessibility and safety of cycling in our city. Charlie viewed bikes as a means of personal transportation, but also as a work of art and a tool for great physical challenges. Uh, Perhaps most importantly, bikes offered Charlie a way to explore every nook and cranny of the city he loved so much. He was struck by a car on a cross-continental cycling journey in 2007. Uh, Charlie died uh, only living to the age of 23. This inspired... uh, the, his ideals um, were were brought together by his friends and family to create uh, Charlie's Free Wheels. 
uh, as an organization, they hoped this would foster um, urban access and create a spirit of exploration uh, for Toronto's youth. Uh, having a bike and skills to maintain uh, your bike, uh, they felt would provide a sense of empowerment. Um, so since that time frame, uh, this is what uh, Charlie's Free Wheels has been all about. Um, we we work specifically with young people from 12 to 25. Uh, we we help to uh, honestly create that that sense of joy when it comes to having a bike and maintaining that bike and giving space for you to use that bike um, uh, to explore the city, explore your community. Uh, we have a signature program called uh, Build a Bike, where um, we have tons of bikes that are um, donated to uh, Charlie's Free Wheels in all sorts of conditions, usually pretty bad, which is totally fine because um, our participants get to pick these uh, one-of-a-kind bikes and we help them bring uh, those bikes back to life uh, over an eight-week course. Um, and after they rebuild uh, this bike with new components, wheels and uh, uh, brakes and chains and whatnot, they get to ride home in the bike that they have rebuilt. Uh, and, and it's, it's one of those, uh, again, coming into this only uh, a month and a half in, I got to sit in on a couple of these build a bike programs and you have not seen uh, more enthusiasm and more joy and more pride in watching these young people, uh, uh, you know, really understanding uh, this this piece of equipment that they are uh, fine tuning for their own uh, enjoyment of being able to uh, have that freedom uh, that you want to be able to explore, to be able to ride, to be able to to get out and 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 go to places. Uh, and they built it. They they built it literally from from just a frame of something into their magical. Uh, um, uh magical bike and uh it's it's a wonderful a wonderful organization i mean i'm biased working there but uh to 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 see what uh what charlie's has uh charlie's free wheels has been able to do over the uh um you know uh the last uh decade and a bit uh it's it's phenomenal uh the changes that are happening in the moss park area right now with the Ontario line and new uh, construction uh, with new housing and whatnot, you know, you kind of feel that there's a bit of gentrification tension going on. Um, Charlie's Free Wheels is kind of that rock solid safe space for youth to be able to come in. Uh, we, we get to feed them during each session, which uh, just increases that sense of, uh, bonding and and sense of uh, you know safety and and it's it's definitely one of those uh, organizations that's there for the long run and it's it's a real um, honor and, and privilege to be able to uh, to to lead that uh, to lead that that organization. Yeah, that's amazing. I really like that you're giving people that um, sense of ownership over over um, their bike. Um, and really breaking down those components and, and giving people that understanding of, of how it all comes together.
Yeah. 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 Um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to start cycling um, in Toronto? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tall order. <laughs> I guess I know. No, I, I guess the one advice is, um, and this is going to sound a bit limiting, but understand your limits and don't be afraid that those limits are being put on yourself, not, not in the environment of such, but if you don't feel that you can, you know, navigate riding on King street, that doesn't have bike infrastructure. Don't, put yourself into that uh, um, uh, space. Find find the routes that will make you feel as um, confident as possible. Uh, and they may be streets without infrastructure. Uh, they may be streets that have large, you know, cycle track protective uh, uh, segments, but map out where you want to go. Um, and I would try and do it by foot, like see what, what that environment is like before you hop on that bike. Um, don't be, don't, um, I know I'm jumping around here, but don't feel that biking local is, is some sort of, uh, bad thing. It's okay. If all you're doing is going around your neighborhood, feel confident in, in, taking it slow and figuring out what you're capable of doing and then build on uh, those uh, pieces, honestly, pieces of the puzzle. Um, you being able to ride around your neighborhood just gives you a sense of spatial understanding of what's around. And then you can, you know, add 500 meters or add another kilometer, go to uh, a local park or go to your library, go to your school. Um, really there's, there's no race you're again, you're a person on a bike. You're, you are not training to, you know, do the tour de France next week. So, um, taking it slow, taking it easy, making sure that you feel, um, confident in your ability. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, making sure that you've got the, the right equipment. So your lights and your bell, your helmet, um, you need to feel comfortable when you're on your bike the same way you would just walking out of your house to do a walk or even if you had to jump into the car you want to you want to feel comfortable so wearing the clothes that that fits well that works well for yourself um you're you're doing all of those natural things you're just adding to the fact that you're going to be on a bike um I, I think the 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 last thing on that is to be vocal um, if you are riding and if you are feeling that a space isn't safe, um, contact your counselor, contact your MPP, uh, send a letter to uh, the city's transportation department. I've got a I've got a really wonderful relationship right now uh, with with the um, with the peeps uh, under Becky Katz. She's the manager of cycling and pedestrian projects. Um, and, you know, within my role as, as the bicycle mayor, I get to sit in on uh, meetings every every few months where I get to kind of see what the projects are going to be like coming into, excuse me, coming into play uh, in the city. Um, I, I, I'm going to give kudos to Becky. She she came in and I think it was like 2019. So just mm -hmm. before the uh, just before the pandemic. And to see what this department has tried to push forward in their limited 
uh, budgetary capacity, it's it's amazing. Um, and and if there was ever time for a new cyclist to come into play and to feel that they have a voice, uh, you've got staff and managers that are ready to to listen. I, I've never seen the sheer amount of um, public accessible want from the city where it comes to, you know, wanting uh, the public's input on the next cycling uh, phase of uh, built infrastructure in the city. We're talking about micro mobility right now. We're talking about e-cargo bikes. We're talking about, uh, you know, parking structures for bikes. There is so much pent up uh, demand to be on a bike that if you're coming at this new, um, you're coming into, it may, it may be, you know, presumptuous of me, but I think this is kind of, you're in the golden age. There's been a lot of, there's been decades of advocates pushing to get us to this point. And right now, um, you know, all the hubbub is about EV vehicles, but, um, but the facts are there where e-cargo bikes, e bikes in general are outselling uh e-vehicles uh at a five to one ratio and it's getting and it's getting bigger and bigger because bikes just make it so much uh, electric bikes are just making it uh so much more of a uh needed piece i i keep on using this the piece of the puzzle um you can't add more cars to the streets that we have but people still need to get around and if you're going to have a people focused want for uh transportation the bike just fits literally it fits <laughs> uh so much more than than uh depending on cars um so you mentioned that your term as the bike mayor is, is coming to an end yeah. um can you tell us what's next for you oh geez um <laughs> i want to keep i want to keep uh uh, being a vocal advocate, um, I, I did. I did say that you know I, I I didn't build anything being the bicycle mayor, and that was not not totally true. Um, I got to team up with a wonderful friend, uh, uh, my friend Robin, and we brought together what's called uh, critical mass rides, and these are rides that are spearheaded by young people uh, mm -hmm. of all like. If, if you consider yourself a child, you are part of our ride. Uh, usually you're bringing a parent or a guardian with you, uh, but we, we set up um, four kilometer rides for kids that want to bring their, their parents with them uh, to explore the city. Uh, and we were, we, this is our second year doing it and I'm going to continue doing it outside of the bicycle mayorship. Uh, this just past year, uh, we teamed up with uh, Evergreen Canada and we did an exploration of the ravines. So we got to explore um, the Humber River from Parkdale. We went out to Black Creek to uh, explore that area. Uh, we went to Thorncliffe and got to uh, come into the Don on the uh, north side. And we did the Don again uh, coming from Regent Park. So we'd love to continue doing these, love to get out into the suburbs. Uh, so I'll definitely be continuing with uh, Kittical Mass. 
Um, I'm also, uh, because I won't be the bicycle mayor and focus on the entire city, uh, I live here in Toronto Danforth. And uh, uh, again, with the help of some friends, we've put together an organization, a volunteer organization called East End for All, uh, and are presenting um, uh, initiatives in uh, Toronto Danforth to make uh, uh, cycling safer for, for people of all ages, transforming uh, streets, hopefully uh, doing a copy and paste of Shaw Street on uh, Logan and uh, Carla here in the East End, really making those streets uh, people focused uh, in the same way that Shaw is. Uh, and it's interesting that those two streets are are almost the same length as uh, Shaw. So it really is kind of a, a cut and paste uh, moment for us. So we don't have the political will here in Toronto Danforth yet, but uh, uh, we definitely have um, uh, constituents that that understand the need for uh, a safer a safer uh, city and yeah so still going to be uh, uh, fully uh, into the cycling advocacy and of course I'm at Charlie's right now so uh, working on some uh, really cool initiatives with them as well yeah wow. but that's my next <laughs> that's really cool yeah you're certainly a busy bee um, <laughs> <laughs> with that that definitely that that was great and, and and you shared so much and so many insights and i hope people are listening and feel i don't know, inspired to like kind of get involved in advocating for better cycling infrastructure so we can actually hit that vision zero in our lifetime mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but it sounds like we're well on our way <laughs> with people like you and others um like leading the charge but so my last question to you is like how can people you know get involved with these various initiatives or reach out to you um whatever yeah. it is yeah what what can they do yeah, I mean, um, we're we're really lucky that we have a, a citywide um, uh, organization called Cycle Toronto. So definitely Google them to uh, to join in their uh, fully um, citywide initiatives on uh, making cycling a a safer activity for all. Um, if you're interested uh, uh, in Charlie's Free Wheels. Um, we're on social, go to our website at uh, charliesfreewheels.ca, um, sign up if you're if you're under 25, sign up uh, to, to one of our Build-A-Bike programs. Uh, older than 25, uh, donate your bikes, your older bikes, donate in funding uh, to us, we're a non-for-profit, uh, spread the word uh, uh, about us, uh, small little uh, organization, but uh, we've got we've got big reach, which is which is wonderful. Um, and I I think again, you know, use your voice. Um, it, it it is quite remarkable, uh, and, and I'm not going to call out specific councillors, but there are a few now that I can see have have really changed their attitude to cycling and mobility in general. And, and it has a lot to do with uh, local constituents writing in, calling in to the uh, councillors and and giving their honest feedback about why, uh, you know, being in a car-centric city may not be um, something that's best for their neighbourhood, for their community. And we've got a few councillors that are listening and changing their tunes. And, and it's really inspiring to see that... Um, 
that we can maybe make that leap into being proactive as opposed to being reactive. We don't need to spill blood for change. We really don't. I like that. That's true. We don't. Um, we really don't. Yeah. But thank you, Lenwick. That was great. <laughs> Yeah. Thank, you. thank you so Thank much you. for your this time this wonderful. morning. Oh, no, no. Thank you, too. This was uh, this was wonderful. Um, and and to our uh, high schooler that that I've changed her mindset on, um, I'd love to I'd love to to follow, uh, you know, where she's going. Um, and and if she needs to reach out, uh, uh, please let her know that uh, uh, she can at any time. It's 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 uh, it's a pleasure to be able to tell these stories and to see uh people you know change for uh, not even change for the good but change in in ways that that they can uh better uh society and and being able to uh um city build uh place make and and find uh uh enjoyment in creating spaces for people i, I think is uh, uh a pretty pretty awesome job <laughs> I'll let her know. I'll oh, well, she'll listen to this later on. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a really, really interesting conversation. I hope you also enjoyed it, Joycelyn. I had a good time chatting with you and Lanrick. Oh, absolutely. I think there are so many things I hadn't really considered, despite being a person on a bike. Oh yeah, true. A person on a bike. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of things that I've considered. I, I mean, I think the most interesting thing for our conversation is that like as much as it was about cycling we're talking about infrastructure but there was also like this undercurrent of like loss and how unfortunately it takes the loss of life to make changes in in this in the city particularly around you know uh, these type of infrastructure projects but it shouldn't be the case and but Toronto's not the only city that's you know dealing with these sort of um issues or 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 where loss is the catalyst for something new but it shouldn't be that way ultimately Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really am excited for how we're going to achieve uh, Vision Zero. I think it's so important that we minimize these interactions, um, super dangerous interactions between cars, um, pedestrians, cyclists, and just making it safer overall for everybody. Yeah, I would say that's one of my, like, I guess, key takeaways from this conversation. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts from our discussion or key insights you think that people listening should keep in mind. I think one of my key takeaways is that we have the solutions at home. I know that we often look towards Amsterdam as this mecca of, you know, cycling infrastructure. But as Landrick, Landrick was saying, um, you know, we do have the solutions here. Um, Shaw Street is one of those solutions where we can really mix up the use of the street um, in, a, in a way to make it safe for, for everybody. So we have the solutions to incorporate safer and more accessible bike and micromobility networks. We just need to abdicate um, for safer streets and to expand that network uh, as a means to pressure political will. So yeah. talking to your MPs, talking to your MPPs, talking to your counselors, putting that pressure on them. Yeah, just like when Rick started did, which I'm like, I'm trying to think if me at nine years old had a full conceptualization that I could do that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Me at nine year nine years old could not do that. Yeah, <laughs> but she's already miles <laughs> ahead. So good on her. <laughs> good on her. Yeah.
<laughs> it took me like a whole degree to realize I could do be doing these kind of things. So here we are. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think that brings up another thing or another interesting, um, I guess, takeaway from the conversation was that like, um, for me, is that like when you talk about cycling infrastructure, it's not like not just about cycling infrastructure. It's like a whole cycling ecosystem. It's, it's about mm-hmm. like providing folks with a, a choice of mobility. And right now the choices are slim, but they don't have to be yeah. ultimately. And and in order to give people more choices, it requires a more coordinated effort amongst all these different groups, whether it is politicians, whether it's people like us, or just like, you know, avid cyclists, um, or just like, I don't know, everyone has their part to play in making sure that our streets are safer for all of us. Um, but yeah, it starts with getting involved, though. Yeah, and I think that that was another thing that came up for me was that you can really tell who a street is designed for just based on the safety measures that are in place for the most vulnerable users. You know, pedestrians, um, I would argue, are the most vulnerable. And every intersection you look at, what do we have? Sometimes some painted lines. Besides that, it's us against the streets. (laughs) Truly, us against the (laughs) streets. Yeah, and I think, and it, and it came up in the conversation a few times that, like, when you plan for people, you do alleviate some of the problems, like, just, like, period. Like, if we're planning for pedestrian safety or bike safety or scooter safety, I don't know, whatever you want to, however you want to put it together, uh, <laughs> you want to explain it. Um, um, yeah, you, you ultimately create safety for everybody else. And that principle applies for, like, mobility, but for other things, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great um, to be invited onto this episode. I think I learned quite a bit um, and I can't wait to take this uh, information and apply it elsewhere. Yeah. Well, you're welcome back anytime. And so glad you're listening um, (laughs) (laughs) to talk about other exciting projects he has in store. But otherwise, thank you everybody for listening to this episode. Um, To find out more about all the various co-hosts and guests (laughs) that were in today's um, session, make sure to visit the website, urbanlimitrophe.com for more. And stay tuned for the next episode. Until next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs)